Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. If this is your first time here, we're Gospel Saving Church. We're in McKinney, Texas. This is one of God's true churches of these last days. This is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. And I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Welcome. If this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, you'll find that I'm not an entertainer. You'll find that you're just going to learn and hear the hear and learn the word of God the way the Bible says it. You're gonna, not going to learn, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you lots of jokes and 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 tell you lots of things just to make you feel good. I'm going to teach you the word of God, and and the word of God is the word of God, and we're going to study the word of God and the things that the word of God says and how the word of God applies to our lives to help us one either come to know God two. Once we know God, to love Him more, uh, number three, and then to serve God and, and in how we ought to act with one another and how we ought to respond to what, what God says. And so those are the things that the Word of God teaches us, and that's the things you're going to learn here at Gospel Saving Church. I always start with a word of prayer. If you guys want to join me, I surely appreciate it. Ask the Lord to bless our hearts. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful day that you've given us, Lord, for Every one of us that's listening to this message, Lord God, right now is still alive, Lord, which means that your mercy and your grace is still extended towards us, Lord. If we're yours, Lord God, then your mercy and grace is extended towards us, Lord, and that we can serve you today and we can respond to when you teach us things and we can learn and we can humble ourselves and we can walk with you, Lord, and we can learn how to, how to serve you better, Lord. And if we're not yours... Anybody that may be out there, Lord, right now that's listening to this message, it's not yours, Lord. It's your mercy and grace towards them, Lord, and that they have, you've given them another day of grace to come to you. Lord, for one life will soon be passed. Lord, we all die, Lord. I was just speaking with this about, with a lady at work the other day. 100% mortality rate among human beings. 100%. So, Lord, it's not about whether we're going to die. It's we're going to die. It's when. And, Lord, if it's the whole point of, of life is to get to know you, Lord, and that's why you created us, to get to know you. And do we know you? Lord, do we know you in a salvific way, Lord, in a way of the saving of our souls way, Lord? And, I, and if we're not yours, Lord, this is another day that you've given us to be able to come to you, Lord, and, and, and know you and come to know you and be saved and then begin to walk with you. So, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new to us again today. We ask, Lord God, that you help us to understand your word. I pray, Lord God, that you speak through me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And you speak to not only the minds, but also the hearts of the peoples that are listening, Lord God, all over the world. God, and I pray, Lord God, you give them ears to hear and eyes to see the things of which you speak through me, Lord, and that they would either be more transformed, Lord God, if they're yours after today, after this message, or become transformed by your word through this message and become yours today. We thank you and we love you and we praise you, God. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Acts chapter 22 verses 23 through 29. That's where we're going to be today. The title of our message today, I love it. We're going to have, a, we're going to have two similar titles to back-to-back to, to, to -back messages, and I, I love it. We're, this week's message is a, a question to de, uh, defend. Uh, next week's message is it's going to be titled A Question to Divide. And so really at the very similar titles, uh, Paul does some awesome things with a question here today. He's going to do some awesome things with a question we're going to study next week. Uh, again, Acts 22, verses 23 through 29. 
almost the end of chapter 22. We've got a little bit left next week, but if you want to read it with me, you sure can. If you just want to listen along, you can do that too. The Bible says this, Acts chapter 22, verse 23 says this. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with throngs, or thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Verse 26, When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for, for this man's a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum of money, or with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Verse 29, Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. Last week we read of how Paul was giving them his testimony, these same Jews right now that are you know, screaming and crying out and tearing their clothes and all this stuff in the beginning of this section here. And, and right in the midst of doing this, during an important part about how God told them that he should take the message of Jesus Christ and his salvation to the Gentiles, they lose it as we see in the first part of this message. Paul's Jewish audience turn him off. And they turn on him like a bunch of wild dogs and they begin to cry out for his execution. Paul had crossed the line with them because they did not like the fact that the Jesus Christ that he preached was one that offered salvation to the Gentiles as well as offered salvation to them. Remember, a lot of these Jews that Paul was preaching to had turned to Jesus as God's Messiah, but they were zealous for the law of Moses as well. This means that they thought that the law of Moses brought them righteousness before God, and they kind of just held Jesus Christ as a side dish. To them, it was works plus Jesus Christ equaled salvation, and, and they, and the Jesus Christ they believed in, didn't accept Gentiles into their salvation club. You see, they had turned to a Jesus Christ, but unfortunately, he was not the Jesus Christ that, that the scriptures, the apostles, nor the apostle Paul taught of. Many religious people today worship a Jesus, but he's not the Jesus Christ that the Bible describes. For you see, who a person is, and God is the same, a God or the God of all creation is the same, is not drawn only by the name anymore in, in our days, but rather it's who they are and what they're all about is drawn by their name and the characteristics that they exhibit. Many religious People have a Jesus, but their Jesus is not the same Jesus Christ as the Bible described. Uh, some Jesus, of, some Jesuses of the world. You know, you have the uh, the Joseph Smith Jesus. You have the Jehovah Witness Jesus. You have uh, the the Muslim Jesus. You have the Baha'i Jesus. And of course, these are all different Jesuses. All these all these guys by the name of Jesus and all these different religions. Well, Jesus said many would come in my name and deceive many. Well, that's what we've seen. And that's what we've seen totally. Again, there's so many Jesuses and so many different religions, but they don't have the same characteristics as the same Jesus Christ of the Bible. And same with these religious Jews in our text today. 
that wanted to kill Paul. They were worshipers of a little G-God of the Law of Moses, as well as man-made Jesus, Messiah of God, but not the Jesus Christ that Paul preached, for their Jesus, again, didn't allow the Gentiles to have salvation, which is a complete opposite of the Bible. The Bible speaks of God's Messiah coming, and the Old Testament scriptures are full, rich in the Old Testament, of the Messiah coming and offering the Gentiles salvation. These Jews obviously didn't know their Bibles very well, um, you know, but Again, they only were focusing on the law. And the Jews that are angry with Paul are with Paul when Paul describes what the real Jesus Christ of the Bible told him to do in regard to his love for all mankind and his desire to save all mankind and not just the Jews. And they lash out at Paul uh, for he has offended them and they cry out for his execution again. And that's where we left off last week. Uh, this week, verse 23, our new section, it doesn't get any better. Verse 23 again, then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. They, it didn't get any better for Paul. They'd made up their minds that Paul was deserving of death for preaching a Jesus Christ that allowed Gentiles to be saved. And that was that. Their actions of tearing their clothes and throwing dust in the air, uh, that is a, uh, I, I searched a couple Jewish sites because I wanted to make sure because I had some different preconceived ideas about what that was. But when a Jew tears their clothes or they throw dust in the air, it's a sign of anguish. It's a sign of pain. A lot of times they'll tear their clothes for in a funeral. Uh, they don't tear the clothes anymore. More, more like the, the priest now will walk up and kind of cut their garment. But this is to show their pain of the loss of that person that, that they're at the funeral of. And so their actions here where they were showing their anguish or pain that they felt at Paul because he was teaching about Jesus and their little G God of the law of Moses and they didn't like the Jesus that he was preaching and they were anguished that Paul would dare say that their God would care about and love the Gentiles just as he loved them and the Jesus Christ that Paul taught and worshipped wasn't concerned at all with anyone keeping the law of Moses for righteousness and they didn't like that at all. Again, they worshiped the Jesus, but it wasn't the Jesus Christ that Paul preached. It wasn't the Jesus Christ of the Bible. So they're angry and anguished at Paul and beyond how they've been already. And and, and and don't you know that the commander sees this? Of course he sees this. He's standing right there and here he is. Everything's calm and everything's quiet and Paul's talking and all of a sudden, run outward. So look what he does. Verse 24, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. The commander sees that they return to an uproar and commands him. he commands his soldiers to take him into the building and out of their sight again and so that they don't kill Paul. Here they are, they're trying to kill Paul again. The commander knew that if he left Paul with these ravenous Jewish wolves, that even though he had his soldiers and centurions around him, he didn't have enough of them to guard him. He would have lost Paul for sure. Then the commander does something that we might think is strange, especially considering the conversation that Paul just had with these religious Jews. But the commander commands his troops to examine him under scourging. Now, this is uh, flogging with the whip or uh, with a whip laced with like shards of metal and glass. And in this case, it was probably just a whip for Paul, uh, which was a common Roman practice to do. This is what they did to Jesus. This is what they did to Jesus right before they murdered him on the cross. Now, think about it. Though. Why did he, this Roman commander, command them to flog Paul to find the answer of what was going on? Well, 
pain is a good motivator for people to come and tell the truth, right? But here's another thing. Why did he ask him to do this when he just heard the conversation that the, that Paul was having with the Jews. Didn't the commander hear this truth already and what he had heard Paul tell the religious leaders? Anyone, I mean, really, with any kind of common sense at all could hear what he was saying, uh, that you know they wanted to kill him because you know he was preaching Jesus Christ and so on and so forth. I mean, so why didn't the, you know, the commander already know the truth? Why did he have to scourge Paul to find out the truth? Well, the commander and his troops would have sure known uh, that they wanted to kill Paul by their actions, but they didn't know why, because guess what? They didn't speak the same language. See, Paul spoke to them in Hebrew. Acts 21.40 tells us that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. And the, the commander and the Roman soldiers, well, their main language was Latin and Greek. And that was the main language of the Roman Empire up until the mid-6th century. So the Roman commander didn't understand a word of what Paul had said in Hebrew to these Jews that he was talking to. He just knew that the Jews that he spoke to got really angry with whatever Paul said to them, angry to the point again that he wanted that they wanted to kill him. And remember, the job of a Roman commander, the job of the Romans in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem and all the cities that the Romans had occupied that the Jews were living in was to keep the peace. That was what their main job was, to, to rule, rule the land, but of course, you know, with, with force, but not, you know, not to get everybody turning against them, but to keep them peaceful, to keep them quiet, to keep them happy, to keep them content so that they didn't have an uproar. And Paul was making this impossible with what he was doing. Whatever he was saying, the Roman commander was like, he's got to be doing something wrong. So the Roman commander is about to bring a lot of pain upon Paul. And of course, and of course Paul speaks multiple languages and he understands what the commander of the troops has just said in Greek or Latin. And he can't be happy for, guess what? Who wants to be um, beaten or, or endure a lot of pain for something they don't have to do or in a lot of pain for, for no good reason? Uh, of course, nobody does. So look at what Paul does. He was a brilliant man. The commander thinks he, he will just have his way with Paul and that this uh, examination of him in this situation will, will, will be a piece of cake, but he's wrong. Verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs, that's a, a, a thong of leather, a, a strap, and they were about to like tie his hands, you know, probably behind his back or tie him to a, a wooden post or something and, and take off his shirt and probably his, maybe his tunic where it would just leave his undergarment where they had a lot of skin to flog and hit and bring a lot of pain on Paul. As they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? What he does there, he asks him a question to defend himself. That's, the, that's where the title of the sermon comes from. Uh, Paul's about to be beaten, and he asks one simple but powerful question to defend himself. Is it lawful to scourge me if I'm a Roman and I'm not condemned? Right? Uh, there was more to Paul than met the eye. He was a, an amazing Pharisee, which, remember, was a Ph.D. of the Jewish law. He learned under one of the greatest ever, Gamaliel, and he was a brilliant man who just was a wise man all around. And Paul knew the Romans because he was a Roman citizen, and he knew that the Roman law stated that unless a Roman citizen was 
condemned, which means that they had been given a trial to find out that they were guilty or or innocent, then they could not be punished unless they were guilty. Uh, What the Roman commander was going to do to Paul was a common practice for the Romans to do, but they only did this to those who weren't Romans, right? Look at what happens after Paul asks his brilliant question of defense. Look at verse 26. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care with what you do, for this man is a Roman. He gets this centurion very nervous, so nervous that he stops the process of getting Paul ready for flogging, right? He, he had bound him, and he probably had the whips, and he probably, a couple few of them had been standing by, and they were ready to start, you know, wailing off on Paul. But instead of continuing to flog, he stops, he leaves Paul to go to the commander to tell him the news that he just learned. Paul wasn't going to get a trial because the Roman commander and his troops had already concluded that he was guilty of doing something wrong, right? Usually, nobody gets angry with anyone, like the Jews were with Paul, angry enough to kill them if they hadn't done something wrong, right? I mean, nobody does. I mean, nobody gets angry with somebody to kill them if, if, you know, if, if they said, hey, how you doing, man? You having a good day today? Right? Usually somebody only gets mad with somebody to kill them if they've really, really ticked them off, really, really, really made them angry. So the commander was just going to flog Paul to basically beat a confession out of him. You know, you, I know you're guilty. Now you got to tell me what you're guilty about. But instead, Paul asks his brilliant question to defend himself concerning their law for a person of his citizenship. And the centurion stops what he's doing with Paul, frozen in his tracks, and goes and gets the commander to tell him the news. What does the commander do? Read verse 27. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. Oh, well, he heard that Paul was a Roman citizen and then came himself to ask because he wanted to find out firsthand if Paul was indeed a Roman citizen. And so he takes a break. Think about this. I mean, God showed me this while I was setting up this message here. He takes a break from whatever else he's doing, for Paul had... For Paul made his arrest and citizenship an important deal now. So he comes personally and he asks him. The fact that the commander came directly to Paul, the prisoner, at this point in the whole process was a big deal. Because most times the commander or general of the army stopped being personally involved with the prisoner once they got, you know, once they gave an order concerning a prisoner. Commanders had important duties to tend to for the Roman government. And and well, a prisoner who had been already assumed guilty of some crime that the commander had given orders concerning, well, they weren't important to the commander anymore, only that their order was passed out or given out and that the prisoner, you know, they were able to get a confession and then, you know, send them up the river. Or, or if it was, a, if it was a, something he did that was a, a something deserving of death, well, then, they would, then the Romans would have executed him. But then passed after the commander gave his order, he went off and he probably had paperwork or he probably had a meeting with somebody or whatever. And then the fact that this centurion has to stop and then go get the commander and then bring the commander back and then the commander actually realizes this is something that's kind of a big deal i gotta go back that's a big deal that's a big deal here Uh, unless of course as in our case with the brilliant paul today he gives uh, them some monumental news in the form of a question beating an uncondemned roman citizen is off limits for romans to do and you see the roman commander knew that and he was like wait a minute i gotta check this out this is some monumental news and, and as as we will see here in just a couple verses it was against the law for the romans even to bind an uncondemned roman so 
So the commander comes down to talk with the prisoner, Paul, personally, asks him if he indeed was a Roman. Paul tells him yes. Look what happens next, verse 28. Then the commander answered, with a large sum, we know that's of money, I obtained the citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. So the commander coming to find out that Paul was indeed a Roman is blown away and tells him, hey man, it cost me a lot of money to get the Roman citizenship. But you, you were born a Roman? And Paul answers, absolutely to his surprise that he was indeed born one and to no surprise as Paul didn't practice any sin especially the sin of lying Paul wasn't lying here either in 67 BC where Paul wasn't born till sometime in the AD right to no surprise 67 BC uh, before Christ or 1 AD before 1 AD way before Paul was ever born uh, Saul of Tarsus Tarsus was where he was from uh, was absorbed into the Roman province of Cilicia and so Paul was indeed a Roman citizen, as by the time he was born, Tarsus was a Roman province. And of course, just like in America, if even if the parents are illegal, if parents have a child on U.S. soil, that child is an American. And so Paul, being born in a Roman province, was then indeed a Roman by birth, even though he was Jewish, he was also a Roman by birth as far as the government was concerned. Verse 29, then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was Roman, and because he had bound him. Once they all find out that he is indeed a Roman, they get away from him for fear, the commander also being afraid, and, and, for, and, and for no other reason than because he had bound him at this point. They hadn't even flogged him. It wasn't even lawful for Romans to bind one of their own who was uncondemned without a trial. You know, they had to have a trial to find out, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? It'd be one thing if they arrested him and took him to jail, but that's not binding him to flogging him, to flog him. That's just a couple hands pair of handcuffs or something or, or, or some kind of restraint and saying, okay, let's go to jail. We got to find out if you're guilty. No, no, no. They had already, boom, it's over. He's guilty. String him up, beat him up. Let's find out what he did so we can move him on and get him executed or whatever. They were done with Paul. And Paul had been bound by order of the Roman commander. And for that, if Paul wanted to bring this occurrence or account up with somebody higher up in the government and go to a up the government ladder, he could have gotten the commander and the soldiers in some deep water for what they had done. Paul was a brilliant man of God and of the world and of the world and in its ways that he used his wisdom in a godly way here to defend himself. Right? He was wise in, in godly wisdom all over the place. And he uses that wisdom to get himself out of trouble. He uses that wisdom that God gave him here in this account to ask a question to defend himself, to get himself out of a lot of hot water that he shouldn't have been in. He wasn't guilty. He didn't do anything wrong. He, I'm, I love Jesus Christ. That was his crime that they wanted to kill him for. That's no crime. The, the Jews who bound him and caused the uproar, they're the ones that the commander should have had his soldiers and centurions arrest and, and beaten them. And once they found out that Paul was innocent and they just wanted to hurt Paul because he was of a religious reason and that Paul wasn't doing anything wrong to them, they're the ones that should have been in trouble for what they did to Paul, not Paul for them. So he, he's good. He was good at to ask this question, uh, as we'll find asking another question next week. Paul was, Paul was good at asking questions. He asks another question next week that gets the whole two, two largest divisions of the Jewish 
religious uh, people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to divide them for his safety as well, too. But I'm not going to ruin all that, but that's, the, again, next week, a question to divide. Paul was brilliant. Paul loved questions, as we see here in this week, as we'll see here next week. He loved them because they can be powerful tools if used the right way. You know who else loved questions? Jesus Christ, the guy that Paul was following. Jesus Christ loved questions. Jesus Christ also knew, and he knows today, that questions are powerful tools if asked in the right way. To any question that anyone could have asked Jesus Christ, he could have answered it with a mind-blowing answer. Like, Jesus, what is the this, the that, and whatever? And Jesus would have said, oh, it's this, this, that, and whatever. This is what it is. And they would have been, whoa, whoa, I didn't really know that. But when people asked Jesus a question, Jesus always didn't give them an answer in a traditional way, did he? If you know your Bibles, you'll know that he didn't always ask them you know, <coughs> excuse me, once he was asked a question, he didn't answer in a traditional way. He chose many times <coughs> to ask them a question as his answer back to them. Remember Matthew 23 through 25, religious leaders ask him a question about John's baptism. And Jesus, he doesn't give them a traditional answer, does he? Remember, well, Matthew 23, or 21, 23 through 25, it says this. Now when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? See, Jesus could have answered them and said right off the bat, Hey, I do these things by the power of God that's within me because I am one with God. That's all, that's all he had to say. That was the answer to their question that they asked. But did he just ask them that question? Did he just say, or did he, I'm sorry, did he, did he just answer that way? Well, no, no, he didn't. He says, I'm going to give you a question, and if you're able to answer me, then I'll answer you. Tell me about John's baptism. What do you think about it? Was it from God or was it from man? And now see, see what Jesus' question asked just the right way at this point that he asks it, he really puts them between a rock and a hard space and they tell you why. They themselves in their own little meeting, which somehow somebody got recorded in verses 25 through 27, they say this, and they reason among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why don't you believe in him? Meaning, He has been saying all along up to this point in Matthew 25 that, or Matthew 23 here, he's 21, that he was from God, right? So, I mean, they kind of knew the answer that he was going to give already. They were just trying to get him to say it so they would maybe bring an occasion against him. But instead of answering him in their folly, he says, "Tell tell me about John's baptism. Was it from God or was it from men? And they say, and they come on their little conference, and they go, well, if we say that we believe John's baptism was from God, then he's going to say, well, didn't John preach that I was the Christ? Didn't John say, I was the one, I'm the, I'm the one you guys are waiting for, I am your Messiah? And of course, he would have caught him. See, John taught that I was, <clears throat> and if you believe that John's baptism was from God, you got to believe me. But Verse 26, but if we say from men, 
We fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know, which was a lie. They knew who John the Baptist's baptism was from. It was from God. And they knew who Jesus Christ was, but they didn't want to submit their lives. They wanted to rebel against God. They wanted to have their own religion where they would have the people suppressed. And so again, had they answered from God, he would have said, well, hey, I'm the man. Follow me. I'm, I'm from God. If they would have said from people, then the people who knew John the Baptist was from God, which was the multitudes of people, they would have been like, Oh, yeah, you don't think John the Baptist's baptism was from God? Get them. They're sacrilegious. They're against God themselves because it was plain to see. So Jesus answers with the no answer, and he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things, even though, again, they already knew. You see, questions can indeed be very powerful if asked with the correct information and in the correct way. If asked the right way and with the correct info, the asker becomes in control of the conversation. If asked the right way, one can defend themselves without arguing, as Paul did in this section that we saw here. If asked the right way, you can turn an attack against you back on your attackers. Same way Jesus Christ turned his attackers back on him there in Matthew 21. Same way we're going to see Paul turn his attackers back on, back on themselves in our next couple sections that we're going to read next week. If asked the right way, um, Questions are powerful because you can get through to people when you have a truth for them and that you want to share with them, but you can do it in a non-offensive, indirect way. Before God made me a pastor, his calling to me was to be an evangelist. Uh, I still have that gift, but right now he's teaching me to be a pastor who teaches God's word and, and, and teaches, he's teaching me to lead people, and he's teaching me to teach his word unrestrained uh, to be as the word of God is to be taught. And my message is to be recorded and made available for the whole world so the pure truths of his word can go out through the whole world. For there's many today as we're in the great apostasy that have gone into the great apostasy and all they do is teach fables and, and lies and, and, and mistruths of God's word and, and, and you know, making you feel good and all that stuff instead of you know, hitting you with the, what the Bible says, which will change your life. A lot of churches, most churches have turned today to the false gospel, to a false Jesus, to a false way. And so, anyway, most church pastors really can't or won't really teach you all the things of God's Word, hard things and soft things, because the elders or whoever's in charge of that church or the congregation who's in charge in some churches will stop them or because by getting them fired. Basically, that's what constrains most pastors, which is not a godly reason, and they're under judgment for God for that. But anyway, they'll get fired if they teach the things that I tell you, uh, but I'm not worried about that. You see, because here at Gospel Saving Church, God's the one who tells me what to teach. And if you want to leave, because I teach the hard truths of God's Word, I don't like that. I wish you'd stay. I, I'd love for you to stay and hear the things of God and the, the hard things of God and the soft things of God and the great things about God. But if you choose to leave, I can't stop you. But I won't stop preaching the truth be, just because you won't stay. Anyway, before Gospel Saving Church, I was an evangelist leader. And, and the Lord taught me more and more over 15 years uh, as I hit the streets for Jesus Christ. He's taught me the art of uh, the question evangelism. It's called question evangelism. Uh, some types of evangelism are, are, are this or so on and so forth. Soapbox evangelism. 
uh, one-on-one just giving the gospel. Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus today? Oh, did you know that Jesus Christ loves you and you know he died for your sins and he wants you to say that? That's one type. Another one, one-on-one talking to people through a series of statements that... Um, well, you're a sinner, and Jesus Christ loves you, and basically take him through the whole sinner thing that you find in Romans. Another one, signs for Jesus, gospel tract distribution, poster board evangelism, putting little sticky things up on a poster board, or the one thing where they have that little mat finish and they stick the things on. I forget what they call that, but that's another one. This is just a few, to name a few, but I'm sure there's a lot more. Then you come down all the way to the last one, and the last and least used evangelism technique is the art of the question evangelism. That's my main type. With the amazing questions that God's given me to ask, I have successfully reached all kinds of people. Successfully. Thousands. Atheists, agnostic, agnostics, Catholics, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, any religion, any religion uh, but, but last but not least... Uh, people, some of the hardest people to reach for Jesus Christ that I've had success in reaching are homosexuals and lesbians and, you know, of that type, transgenders and all, all of that, you know, group of people, the LGBT or whatever the acronym that they have for it now. Most people that evangelize the, this group of people in the homosexual lesbian category, um, they fail because when they try to teach these people or try to tell them about Jesus Christ, these people, all they do is they just defend them. They just get in their face and they tell them all about their sin and then they, they blast them in their face and they're kind of in the rude. I've seen them on YouTube. I've seen them on little things and they're, they're just rude. And of course that turns a homosexual lesbian away, uh, but not me because of these questions, evangelism type that God has given me to ask uh, them that some questions that are not offensive yet powerful. And, and with them, I've almost had perfect success, almost 100% perfect success because you see, I love people. I love a homosexual person. I love a lesbian person. I love a transgender person the same way as I love an atheist person, the same way as I love a Hindu, same way as I love a Buddhist. I don't discriminate. For you see, the Bible says all sin is the same in God's eyes. Whether you're a professional thief or whether you're a professional or pathological liar or whether you're a homosexual or whether you're, you're married and you commit adultery with your, against your wife or whether you, you're single and you have sex outside of marriage or, or you name it, whatever. Whether you're, whether you're a, 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 an idolater, whether you idolater money, you worship money, whatever. God sees all these sins as the same. So no one person is going to any worse of hell because they did any worse of a thing as far as in all those, just those categories go. I do believe there's levels to hell, but of course, you know, Hitler's going to go to a worse level of hell than, you know, the, the lady across the street that just never accepted Jesus Christ, but she lived a pretty good life all her, you know, she lived a pretty good life all her life. She's not going to go to this. They're not going to go to the same type of, that's a whole nother sermon. But anyway, all sin is the same in God's eyes and a homosexual is going to go to hell same as a thief. Same as a liar, same as an adulterer. So why do I want to beat somebody over the head with their sin when that's not going to reach them for Jesus Christ? That's not what Jesus did to the sinners of his day. That's not what Jesus Christ did. He didn't beat people over the head with their sin. He talked to them about salvation and eternal life. Anyway, me, I had almost perfect 100% success with almost all people's 
for Jesus Christ because of question evangelism. Most of the time, not only is God able to work through me so that people don't get offended with my witness, but His Holy Spirit leaves them thinking really hard about the questions that I ask. And it's really, really, really powerful time when I go out, when God lets me go out. Now, now switching gears, but staying on the same topic of questions, I must say this to you. I don't know where you are that are listening to me today for Jesus Christ. I don't know where you may be for him. But no matter whether you are for him, born again, headed for heaven, or whether you're against him, you're lost and you're headed to hell, I'd like to take my close time of this message to give you a question or two or three or four that will both show you, number one, just how powerful questions can be in sharing Jesus Christ with others, and number two, make you think hard about Jesus Christ and the things of God, no matter where you might be with him, whether you're not with him, whether you are with him. So are you ready? Great. I'd like you to think about these questions. I'd like you to think about the things that I say. And I want you to think about, you know, where you're at with the Lord or if you're with the Lord or, you know, if, if you know you're with the Lord for sure, then this is a, maybe a way you can learn an evangelism technique here that'll help you reach the lost. But Here's my first whole uh, uh, kind of set. If you would consider yourself a truly born-again person today, I want to read you some verses from Matthew 7 and then ask you some hard questions about your faith in Jesus Christ from that section. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Now think about that. Think that Jesus there, maybe you've never seen this before in the section, Jesus there gives two categories of Christians there, didn't he? You say, what are you, Pastor, what are you talking about? There's a, Christian's a Christian and non-Christian's non-Christian. Really? Yeah, you're right, but that's not the way people perceive it, is it? That's not the way people perceived it here with Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, wait a minute. Think about this. This is my first question to you. Who calls Jesus Lord? Well, you'd say, well, pastor, a Christian, somebody who loves Jesus Christ. And I'll say, you are absolutely right. Who calls Jesus Lord? Somebody that loves him and calls him Lord. That's one. That, let's call that our first category. But then there's another category here. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he just said there's a second category. People that think that they're Christians, think that they're born again, but they're really not because they're saying, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, when you come to me, because this is in reference to the day we die and we're, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ. We're going to stand before him. We're going to see him face to face. And he's going to ask probably a lot of people this. They're going to say, oh, Lord, 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 I'm so glad I'm here. And he's going to say, uh, well, he, just like he said here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but only he who does the will of the Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So you see there's a second category there. I don't know if you ever saw that. There's people that obviously they call Jesus Lord that are really his. And there are people that are not his, that think that they're his, that call him Lord, Lord. But he says that when they get there, he's going to say, I'm out of here. You're out of here. You're not, you're not staying. So 
Those are a couple powerful questions just to get you to see that even if maybe you who believe yourself to be a Christian, maybe you aren't really a Christian. Maybe you aren't really born again. Maybe you're not really who you think you are. Just, just as a question, okay? Because as, as Jesus just said, there's two categories there. Now, which category are you? That's a powerful question. Which category of Christian are you? So now here's some more questions. Number one, do you know the category of Christian you are from that section? Are you truly born again, or are you one that thinks that you are, but won't find out until it's too late after you die and you see Jesus Christ face to face, and he goes, no, sorry, be gone from me. Uh, If you say on that, I'm truly born again, then I want you to answer Jesus Christ's huge statement in that section. The true born-again believer there will be able to answer this question correctly and biblically. Number one, if you believe yourself truly born again and you really think you're in category one, I'm really saved, I'm really born again, I'm really a child of God, let me read it to you again, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but... He who does the will of my Father in heaven. So then that begs the question of, what is the will of the Father? He said you're not going to get in unless you're doing the will of the Father. And I want you to understand, before you start going, oh, I know that, I know that will, before you answer, it's not a will or God's intent of, of just a work for a Christian, somebody who's saved already. Notice he said, not everyone who enters the kingdom of heaven, but he, but he who does the will of my Father. This is his will in regards to eternal life, not if you are already a true born-again Christian. For, for salvation or becoming a true Christian, if you say, uh, let, let's say you say, well, it's works. God's will is works of righteousness, or, or I'm going to evangelize, or, or I got baptized, or, or I go to church, or, or I help others, then you're saying that if that's God's will for you to be saved, then you're saying that God's salvation comes by works. Yet the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says that salvation doesn't come by works. So you say, wait a minute, hold on a second here. You're saying that God's will for salvation is not for me to evangelize and do works of righteousness and get baptized? No. Those are things that people do after they're truly born again. (laughs) Same way if you went to a bank and you ask for an application to a bank and they give you an application so you can apply, right, or go online to apply for a bank. Or if you went to a bank and you just hopped over the counter and you started saying, okay, next, I'll take the next person's money, and you didn't get hired. Well, what do you think is going to happen to you? Well, you're going to walk into that bank. You're going to hop the counter. You're going to say next, and they're going to hit that little secret button that somebody's got underneath one of their windows. And before you know, within probably, you know, within just a few moments, somebody's going to approach you. And within a few minutes, the police are going to be there. And they're going to take you to a nice, happy, a nice unhappy place in a white room because you thought you could actually jump across the counter and start asking for people's money, and you're not even hired. It's the same thing here. Evangelism, baptism, getting baptized, doing good works, you know, for God, uh, helping others, doing works of righteousness, uh, biblical works of righteousness. Those are for people that are already saved. That's for the people that are have done the will of the Father and have gotten hired by God to be his child, we'll say. So you see, outside of good works... What's God's will for you for eternal life? 
It's a will of His that's concerning eternal life. If you say that this God's will is for you to believe in Jesus Christ, then I have another question for you. Are the demons saved? Because the Bible says that even they believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. They believe in Jesus. They called in Scripture, they called Jesus Lord. They believe in Jesus. They bowed down and worshipped Him. They believe in Jesus, and they asked Jesus for permission to do things. <laughs> they believed in Jesus, and they cried, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. They proclaimed who He was. They believed all those things about Him, even worshiping Him on their knees, falling down on their faces before Him. And yet, we know the Bible says that they're not saved. So I, if you think I'm saved or God's will for me to be saved is so that I can you know, profess Jesus and call him Lord and worship him, and, and well, that's what the demons did. So what is his will beyond that? Because that's the uh, believing in him, the demons believe, that's the simple belief, that's not going to save you. Good works, good works aren't God's will unless, to, unless you're already saved. Now, if you're a truly born-again person, then you answered the question with flying colors, all of them. But if not, if you gave incorrect answers, then the Bible says that you're kind of in trouble with God. Because this, and you may be a little upset right now, and I understand that, but I have one more question. How can you be doing God's will but not know it? See, that's kind of why you're in trouble with God. You kind of, if you can, only those that do the will of God get to heaven, and you don't know what the will of God is for salvation, then how can you be doing His will? If you were to tell me, well, I'm a doctor or I'm a, you know, I'm a dentist. And then I said, oh, well, you know, hey, what are you a doctor of? He said, oh, I'm a heart doctor. Oh, I've got this heart thing going on. And you're, uh, I don't know. I, what do you, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a heart doctor. I'm telling you the truth. I'm a heart doctor. But, but you can't answer me a question about my heart. Oh, oh, you're a dentist. Oh yeah, um, I got this pain right here, and, and I, I kind of see this black spot. Well, what, do you, what do you think that is? I, I don't know. What are you talking about? I'm a, I'm a dentist, though. Well, you wouldn't believe either of those people because if a dentist couldn't tell you that a black spot in your tooth, and I'm not a dentist, is a cavity, he's really not a dentist. And, and if a heart doctor can't tell you if you're talking about, oh, I've got this heart thing, I'm just, you know, my kind of beats a few times here, and and they can't tell you nothing, and they tell you they're a heart doctor. They're not doing it. They don't know. You, you, if you're not doing something and you're not practicing something, you're not going to know. What's God's will for eternal life? If you can't answer without, a, without a, a, a correct biblical answer, then you're kind of in trouble with God. So if you gave an incorrect answer or you just simply didn't know the answer, unfortunately, I, I can't, it's against my conscience, I can't give you the answer of what God's will is for eternal life and salvation. I can only help you find it. Because you see, the Bible says that only seekers find. I could tell you, sure, but only seekers find. Seek and you shall find, is what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 7, 7. So if you are willing to seek God's heart on Jesus Christ's statement in Matthew 7, 21, then I'll give you a hint to help you find the answer of what God's will is for salvation. Read the Gospels. Read the New Testament as a whole. And, and when I tell you read it, 
I tell you, read it like your life depends on finding the answer. Why do I say that? I make that statement because your life, your eternal life, does really depend on whether or not you can really answer what is God's will for salvation. Because only if you're doing His will for salvation can you be saved. That's what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And if you don't want to seek the answer because you think you know it already, because you, are, you have a good works or simple belief answer, I'm scared for you. Because how do you know that you aren't in Jesus Christ's category number one of those that believe they're his but they're wrong and they won't find out until it's too late? Or category two, I forget which one I gave there. But you're in one of the categories. If you think you're a Christian, you think you're born again, you either really are or you think that you are, but you're really not. Remember, those in that second category thought they were right with Christ all up until the end of their lives, and then they faced Him face to face, and then He told them that they're wrong. Ouch. Well, anyway, wherever you're at with the Lord, I want you to see there, did you see how powerful a series of questions that I just asked and how powerful questions can be? Really powerful, right? I've asked the same series of questions to many people and have only had a few correct answers along the last years since God's taught it to me, according to the Bible correct answers. But many have been impacted, and I hope many, I'll see many in the kingdom of heaven because they decided to seek the Lord and to seek God's heart and what His will was for them to be saved. Now, if you answered that question correctly, and you believe that you did, and you know it's biblically accurate, it's not on works, it's not because you think you just believe in Jesus, but you know what the Bible really says and what God's will is for salvation, then here's one of the most powerful sets of questions, or really question, that God has given me to ask those who don't profess uh, to be a Christian. This question I'm about to ask you, you can ask any, <laughs> any other faith of people. Any, I don't care who it is. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Baha'i, you name it. Here's the one most powerful question that you can ask anybody. It's of an opposite faith that you're trying to reach them for Jesus Christ, but you may know nothing about their faith. And that's okay. Because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of study to learn all these things about people and, and what they believe. And, but here's that one powerful question you can ask them. How do you know that you're right? How do you know you're right and you believe and follow the one correct religion and the one true God of all the universe? How do you know you're right? Simple. <laughs> Simple. Think about it. How do you know? And if you were they, let's say right now you're listening to this message and let's say you are a Hindu or you're a Muslim or you're a Buddhist or you're a Catholic or you're a Mormon or whatever. You find yourself in one of those categories. If you were they, anybody that's, you know, you're going to ask if you're a real Christian, say, well, because I feel it's right. Then here's a follow-up question I have to ask you if you are one of those or if you want to reach those people, if you say, well, I feel it's right. Well, I'd, I'd ask you this. If I feel it's right to eat 10,000 calories of fatty, greasy, sugary foods and treats and goodies and everyday ice cream and candy and donuts, am I, is that a good thing to do? Is that correct that I do that? I feel it. Man, I, I want to eat all the time, actually. And I, I'm actually being real with you. 
I really want, I'd love to eat all the time. That's what I feel like doing. Now, any person with any kind of common sense is going to say, wait a minute. Well, if you ate 10,000 calories, and, and, and I, you think about myself, if I ate all the time, well, then I wouldn't live very long, would I? No. So, so I, my, my statement then would be, just because you feel something's right to do, or you feel something that you're doing is right, doesn't necessarily make it right. Some people have felt like doing a lot of crazy things in our world since our world's been around, but just because they felt that it was right, it didn't make it right. So that question, how do you know that you're right? Maybe you say, oh, I feel it's right because I was raised that way. You know, that's the way I was raised. That's the way I was brought up. Well, if I was raised and taught to believe that killing and eating people was the right thing to do, would that make it correct? I, yeah, I'd go out and kill people and eat them and I'd be a cannibal. Oh, that's, that's, that's the way I was raised. That's the way I saw mom and dad do it. Does that make it right? You may be appalled by that, that statement, but it's true. Just because I may be raised in a certain way, you may believe in a God. There are certain people that are raised to be atheists. Are they right? Well, not to you, right? So it's very simple. Just because I was raised that way doesn't make me right in what I do. So that question, powerful kind of two-part there, how do you know that you're right and you believe in the one true correct God of all the universe or you believe in a God that can save you? And to that question, I've had people run away from me. Literally, like, I ask them the question and I kind of press the question with those other questions that I asked there and, be, and they, they just couldn't stay. They were, we were having a great conversation up to that point and going back and forth about what we believed and so on and so forth. And then when I popped that one on them, I had a Mormon insurance salesman here about a year ago popped on and we were talking about insurance for a few minutes and I rolled it over and we talked about religion for a few minutes and I learned what he believed and then I asked him that question. We had a great conversation up to that point, probably 20 minutes. I asked that question, within the next two minutes, he was gone. All of a sudden, oh, I got you know, I gotta, I gotta keep moving, I gotta, I gotta, get, I gotta get going, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this. And I pressed him, but he fled. Now, unfortunately, I would have loved him to stay because I wanted to get him to answer that question because, you know, unless you're really right with the one true God of all the universe, you can't answer that question. And so he couldn't. Uh, so anyway, I hope that you've been impacted by these questions that I've asked today, whether you are in Christ or whether you are out of Christ. Today, if you found that you're not right with Jesus Christ and you're not saved and you'd say, I'm not born again, then I hope that you'll set your heart to seek Jesus Christ in the Gospels and the New Testament of the Bibles because only seekers find. If you find that I'm a Mormon or you're a Mormon, Jehovah Witness or Catholic or Baha'i or Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu, same thing. How do you know you're right? And if you can't know other than, oh, because I feel it or because I was raised that way, that you're right, well, then I'm kind of, I'm scared for you. I really am scared for you because that's, those are not right ways to know real ultimate truth because that's what I was taught. Because people don't teach the right things. People are wrong a lot, right? So you, the same. You can seek Jesus Christ in the Bible, and you can seek and ask God, is he the right one? And only seekers find, so he'll help you find if you really seek. If you came into this message knowing that you're not saved or you're not born again, and let's say, you know, you came in, you're, 
you're you know you're, well you're looking a little bit but you know you, you know you're not right with the Lord then I'd ask you a question what are you waiting for only seekers find start seeking because God wants you to be right and saved and born again in Jesus Christ today he's waiting for you he's looking his eyes are going to and fro upon all the earth seek the Lord seek the Lord while he may be found that's what the Bible says and I'll pray for you as I do every day Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this message, Lord. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your mercy. God, we ask that you would um, help those that listened today, Lord God, whether they're in you or whether they're out of you. Lord, help them to be able to determine from your word whether they are in you or whether they're not in you. Help them, help those that are even that they know they're not right. Help them to start seeking you. Lord, and any that listened to this message and that heard those questions and realized, well, I'm a uh, maybe I'm in category two. Wow, wow. Maybe I'm not with the Lord. I don't know what the will of the Father is. I thought it was works, but can't, works can't save me. So I don't, now I don't know. Well, Lord, I pray that they would start seeking. And, and Lord, for the Christians, the real Christians that listen to me out there, Lord God, I pray that you would help them to start using some of these questions. Not just going around and offending people by just saying whatever they want, but using some of these questions to powerfully impact people, to get them to think, to get them to seek. Lord, please, only seekers find. Please, God, help all those that listen to this message seek and find you in some way, whether unto salvation or whether unto a better way to live for you, whether a better way to evangelize for you. Thank you so much, Lord God. We ask these things and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.